What do teens who are black and male face in our culture? Well, let's be honest, there's a cultural backdrop. All black people live under suspicion. Trayvon Martin is but the most ready and apt metaphor for the suspicion to which we are subject. Black humanity has been suspected from the beginning of our sojourn in American society. I don't need to give a history lesson about that. The great Thomas Jefferson, the architect of Monticello and the Declaration of Independence also wrote notes in, on Virginia where he questioned the cerebral abilities and the intellectual acuity and the reason of black people even as at night retiring from his study engaged in relations with a young woman whose loins trapped his logic. So that the reality of our humanity being under suspicion is critical as the backdrop to understand the unfolding and evolving perception of black people in America. Our humanity has been questioned and our intelligence has been questioned. As a result of that, black teens inherit a culture where the suspicion and skepticism about their humanity and their intelligence are part and parcel of what we deal with on the daily. This is why, for instance, uh, to echo Mr. Johns, we not only talk about black male stereotypes, we talk about black female stereotypes because had Rachel Gentile been believed, had the stereotypical representation that articulate her as, articulates her as somehow subhuman, and not just from white Americans, but black too, skeptical about what she is, speaking three languages, perhaps her testimony would have been believed and the outcome of the trial could have been shaped because black women are under vicious assault as well. And as a result of that, mothers mired in poverty help young black men come to birth and both of them receive the calumny and the slander of this culture. That America is a place where all things are possible. That is some group of people, thousands. Describe as a demon. I hate you, naturally. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible. Welcome to Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. This is your boy, Dan White Hodge. Welcome to Profane Faith. We are back in action here. The uh, the website seems to be uh, holding up, and, and you know that's 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 always a good thing, right? You know, you want to have a good website and infrastructure with uh, with things. Um, so thanks for your patience with that. We are in the, the process of switching um, folks that are that are providing our our internet. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you decided. I'm, I I you know I host myself, so I'm in the process of changing different hosts. So. Um, but hopefully, hopefully, keep my fingers crossed, that will not interrupt any of the um, any of the episodes. So we all should be good to go. <laughs> At any rate, welcome back to Profane Faith, y'all. This is, uh, again, this is your boy, Dan White Hodge, here with you guys. And, you know, 
on this episode, we're gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because we get a chance to have a conversation with one of my good friends, uh, Travis Harris, uh, soon to be Dr. Travis Harris. Um, I met Travis, oh my goodness, uh, it's probably been about... Uh, my goodness, I don't even know. Me, we might even talk about it in the episode, but um, I met him, and he would he had he had read one of my books, and um, he had reached out to a brother, and I was like, man, this this cat this cat's solid. Uh, we met at AAR, so again, another little plug for AAR. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, we connected, and uh, like his wife reached out to me one time for one of his birthdays, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll help out, man. You know, no problem, man. <laughs> so. Um, did that and um, yeah we've just been good friends ever since Um, he was still I think he was he just had his master's then and then he started a PhD program and I wanted to get him on the show because I think what Travis's what Travis represents is really in one of the ongoing conversations I want to continue having here on Profane Faith is what does it really mean to be black academic um, you know, in higher ed. I mean, I talk about it a little bit, right? I talk about it from my own perspective and from what, what I, you know, what I see is, uh, you know, higher ed, you know, being an ethnic minority in higher ed. And there's a lot of research out there in regards to that. But I really wanted to have a conversation in regards to just how, just what that process looks like, because I think oftentimes we just think, oh, well, you know, that person's this and that person's that, or it's easy just to overlook. I know, you know, going through, going through the process can be a lonely one. Uh, for those of you who have done well, anything really, honestly, anything past your bachelor's, because your bachelor's is really like the college years, you know, and hanging out. And I always see everybody having these deep conversations around campus and everything. And I'm just kind of like, yo, oh, man, that's just so lovely. If only life worked out that way. Right. <laughs> I, you know, hey, you know, what I'm saying? I don't mean to be all bad. I, I'm a glasses uh, half empty kind of guy so um you know i mean the reality of it is is that you know some of the times we just don't you don't stay connected with some of the folks and right and 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 for a lot of people especially at where i teach a lot of the undergrads just feel like oh man life is so great and you know millennials and gen y's just feel like oh yeah yeah life is gonna be so great grand yeah. they haven't gotten kicked around enough yet right <laughs> so they still got that hope but by the time you get to graduate school, most people are in a position where they are. Well, uh, most people that I at least that have come through me, they're serious about their education. They're serious about, um, you know, the subject matter they're, stu they're studying. Um, and it's very focused. Well, we know that. Right. I mean, you see, bachelor's is kind of you, know, you got to do GEs and you, what's my career. But when you get to master's, then you get to Ph.D. doctoral level work. It's like, whoa. Now you're being trained to be like this expert, right? You're trying to do this research and very specific research. All of those things affect people, let alone all of those things when you intersect it with race, gender, class. Put on a whole nother level of what it really means, I think, to be a doctoral student and trying to learn, trying to push forward and, and trying to really you know, just make it through life. And I think, and, 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 and here's the thing, you know, uh, uh, Travis, I think is, is representative then of that population that is 
right now black, educated, uh, underemployed, or, 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 or non-employed, you know, for that. I mean, I know I struggled for 10 years, y'all. If you know me, you know my story. I mean, 10 years I was on the adjunct trail, whole decade, one census to the next, <laughs> right? And I was either unemployed or underemployed. And it was an ongoing fight that, man, you know, I, at one point I was just like, man, you know what? Maybe I've done everything that everybody told me to do, right? You do all the prescriptive, prescriptive ways and methodologies going about it. And I just could not find a work. The ironic thing is <laughs> when I was in grad school, when I was doing my PhD, I had all these white guys, you know, who were my classmates and I'm doing stuff like on rap and hip hop and, and, uh, you know, on Tupac, you know, you know, my work and everything. Um, and they were like, Oh man, you know, <laughs> you, you gonna be higher before us, man. You we're we're on our way out. We're the dinosaurs. Uh, um, mm, let's uh, review that. So a recent study, or at least an article that was sent to me, I, I think it's important to read it, uh, to check out. It's called, um, it's by AmericanProgress.org. The United States can't wait uh, for more professors of color. Um, it was put out on October 7th, 2016. So, you know, it was put out last year, but these numbers are crazy, right? So you think of full-time faculty in degree-granting post-secondary institutions. This was fall of 2013. You know, professors, just, you know, white professors in general is 148,577, okay? Professors, black, African-American, 6,665. So look at that number, 148,000 to 6,000, okay? Associate professors, 116,817 for white, black, African-American, 8,812. Those are some staggering numbers when you think about that, all right? When you, especially when you start thinking about tenure, who's tenured, who's full professor, who has access to that. Assistant professors, 112, 112,000, excuse me, 262 for uh, white professors. For black, African-American, 10,542. Now, that number is bigger, obviously, than the ones in associate and professors. Now, not combined, but gosh, dog, it's 10,000. And then when you get into instructors, it, you know, it drops, but not much. 7,000, 1,000, then, of course, other faculty 7,993. Here's my point. My point is, is that those numbers are representative of an ongoing problem in higher education. We've got a, a major move around right now when it, as it pertains to um, higher education, right? You got a generation now that is asking the question, the serious question of, do I even need a college education? Will that even give me the access that I really want? This generation, particularly those under the age of 22, really are entrepreneurial. They are engaged with uh, media. They know how to work it. They know how to go out and, and, and get things and to establish things, especially those who are in the, in the world of technology. And so you have colleges and especially private Christian um, colleges that are, they, you know, the one, like the ones that I teach at, right, that are tuition driven. They are even even serious trouble. Now, the places like Harvard and USC and Yale and the Ohio State, I mean, they all have endowments. They all have some cushion, but I do think in higher education, we are coming to an apex. Uh, and somebody, you know, was saying, you know, that's the next big, you know, quote unquote housing crisis, like the housing crisis bubble that happened, you know, they're going to have the college higher, the, the uh, higher education bubble burst, you know, and I'm seeing that, but again, the people who are going to hurt the most are blacks, people of color, women, right? I mean, you think about women, you know, African-American women, who are professors, that number is dismal, 2,647. And that's compared to 148,000 white, 
full-time professors. Associate professors, black women, 4,491. Assistant professors, 6,373. I mean, it's, it's insane, right? So I wanted to have a conversation with Travis in regards to what that is, just on research, on, on just on race, on just being black, on, on this whole madness that's happening with our president, um, you know, kneeling down the flag, all of that stuff. I wanted to get in on that because I thought, man, this is a time that we need to be having these conversations and engaging with that. And I really do. Travis is a person that is not just an academic, but he's also a pragmatist and is also someone who's involved in this community. In other words, he is a practical brother that is engaged with his community, much like Andre Johnson, who we had on before in one of the special episodes. He is out there in his community. He is out there doing it. He's out there engaged. And so, um, the reality of it is, is that he's not just in higher ed. He's not just in there, you know, talking theory, talking research, which are important. I'm not knocking that. But I think in this day and age, we need to see how does that transcend just the academic walls and actually make its way into the communities, into the people that actually need it. That's one of my biggest frustrations with the higher education is that we talk all this great game and the same 15 people keep showing up to, you know, see our papers get presented. We kind of just keep passing around ideas and it never makes it outside of those walls. Right. And you think about it as an academic. But those of you who are, you already know. Right. You mean you, you write something, you get it out there, you put your heart and soul into it. And once it's out, once it's published, man, boom, it's done. We on to the next. You know, I get that all the time, man. And I'll confess that because people gonna be, hey, man, I read something, you, you know, you wrote two, three years ago. I'm like, man, what was it? I don't even remember, man, because it's like you're moving, especially when you're on that treadmill, <laughs> to be nice, of tenure. Um, you out there, you know, trying to hustle. And so you really don't, you know, your blinders are on. You're trying to get to that if you even ever get to that, right? Because remember, when I started uh, full-time, when I finally got off that adjunct trail, man, I came on as professional track. I wasn't even tenure track. I just got on tenure track when the provost was like, wait a minute, why are you professional track? I'm like, Exactly. So I, you know, I can count myself in those numbers, right? You know, those other, you know, not even a lecturer, not, not, not an affiliate, but, you know, your other faculty. Those are some numbers. I think those are some things to, uh, to engage with. And we'll continue to talk about that because I think that's something that deserves a, a conversation uh, much broader than, um, than, just, than just what we see, in, you know, in some articles here and there. So. Without any further ado, I wanted to show y'all and have, let y'all listen in on this conversation that Travis and I had in regards to all of these things, race, gender, higher ed, research, all that stuff. So here's our conversation. Welcome back. Welcome uh, back, folks. Indeed. Welcome back to Profane Faith. It's your boy, Dan White Hodge. And I have one of my good friends and, and scholars <laughs> in the house with me Turner this Scholar. morning, brother Travis, soon to be Dr. Travis Terrell. That's right. What's up? What's up? What's up? Yes, sir. Travis, where, where are you uh, Skyping in from today, brother? So I'm coming in from good old white Williamsburg. <laughs> and where's that at in the world, man? It's, it's on the East Coast. It's um, it's like, so I grew up in Richmond, but it, so it's about 45 minutes east of Richmond. 45 hour west of Virginia Beach. So y'all might know some of those spots, Richmond, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, man. 
So for the listeners, and this is one of the things we do on the show all the time as Mike comes on, you know, is what has been your faith journey? Where are you at right now? What is like your marital status? What what do you do? Yeah. All that good stuff, man. I'm glad you I'm glad you said the marital status, so that gets, <laughs> that's gonna keep me out of trouble. That's right, that's right. I know that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm married, been married for ten years now, bro. Wow, wow, man. Ten years. You remember um man, this was a while ago when me and you first met, she got you to do the recording for my birthday. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. I remember the yes, yes. That's man, that's right. Oh man, that yeah, that surprised me. So um we've been married for ten years. Destiny um Destiny Harris. That's my baby. Okay. Okay. It's funny, I say you keep me out of trouble because one time I spoke somewhere, right? Uh-huh. And um, she was like, afterwards, she gave me that look. She was like, you didn't say you were married. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right. Every single time now. Yeah, man. Make sure I put that out there. Yeah, no. But, like... um, yeah, so Mary and um, been married for 10 years. And then, like, I guess my faith walk, I mean, it's... I'm I'm like one of those like thank God for my mom yeah so yeah. you know like um our, our black theologian Augustine right or Augustine or however people want to pronounce his name mm-hmm. talk about his mom and how his mom was um was integral to him becoming a Christian yeah um yeah. so I would say for me um man my mom is a courageous faithful woman um. To God, she's she's had a crazy life, but she 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 brought faith to me ever since I was born in her mm. womb. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah, uh, so she, go ahead. She was always speaking over me. What was? Oh, and and what was? What I mean? How did she like? What was that process like growing up, man? Like what, you know, how how, how was how, how did that look? Because I know for me, I know, you know, my mom, you know, she would like read me the Bible. She would, you know, tell me different stories about different prophets yeah. and, and all that stuff, man. So how did how did how did moms break it down for you? So you know what? It it was like part of it was it was she had to because um my my life was hard growing up, right? Okay. So like straight up at two at two years old, my mom and dad got a divorce. Okay. So we starting off with my mom raising my single brother, my, my single mom raising my brother and I, um, and we like we and she moved to Richmond. Yeah. And so then it was like constant movement. Um, at times homelessness. Oh, jeez. Um, like we was like living in the hood, um. Like the I guess the the worst thing it got we were um. I know all these terms now. I didn't know at the time, but we were, we were what's called squatting. Yeah. Oh yeah. When we were standing in this house, we have no electricity. Um. And I think the like I guess they either we didn't have a hot water heater, so the only thing we had was like water. Yeah. And what we would do is like um. We'll like sleep on the floor and we would have these things called griddle cakes. Yeah. So we'll make a fire out back. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, you know about that. Dang. The griddle cakes. All so, right. Some type of flour mixture. I don't know what was in there. My mom 
fixed it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and for hot water, we would literally like warm up the water out in the fire that we would make in the back. And this <laughs> oh, was in the, yeah, in the 80s. So, um, wow. Yeah, so it was rough life growing up. I mean, then all the hood stuff, like, yeah, I used to like get in fights and stuff growing up. And like, I knew the drug dealers and all that stuff. Yeah. It's crazy because people don't think that about me now, but um, <laughs> that was my life growing up. And and my mom, so for me, and this is, and I, I realized that this shapes my view of Christianity. Yeah. For me, Christianity, faith was what kept us through all of that stuff. Mm. Okay. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. So like. Cause it's funny, cause like me, me and you both love Tupac, right? Right. And then I was reading all the autobiography of Michael of Malcolm X. Uh huh. And X said the, when he started to convert to 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 the nation, uh huh, it was because what was going to help him get out of prison. Mm, okay. All right. All right. So yeah. he said, if you go back and look in the autobiography, when his brother sent him a letter and he told him to stop eating pork, he said, let me tell you how you can get out of prison. Wow. Right? Yeah. So it was what can help him in his situation. Right. And then Tupac, right, in one of his interviews, he said, look, if you listen, he said, because I, I, he, for him, the nation was, he had a different experience. He said, um, nation brothers coming to me. Christian brothers coming to me, all these brothers coming to me, but I'm still in prison. Right, right. My family's still struggling. He said, so I can believe in God, and I want to believe in God, and I believe in God when he helped me in my situation. So um, for me, that's what it was growing up. I, 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 I had a Christianity that was um, more in the scope of like, like Jesus Mm. Um, solidarity and suffering. Okay. Okay. Like, 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 like what you talking about with Kanye, right? Right. Like Kanye can relate to Jesus because Jesus was persecuted in public. Right. Right. So what Jesus experienced of um, of like in a sense, fatherlessness. Like we don't we don't know about Joseph that much, but um, and we might not give Joseph enough credit. Like yeah. that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, like, absolutely. All the struggles Jesus had, like, so for me growing up, that's what Christianity was. It was something that really, that tangibly helped me to live. Okay. My rough situation. Yeah. Yeah. Man, well, and I mean. I would say, um, like, and I kind of had the reverse. I'm kind of having a re- the reverse thing with Christianity and that, like, as I got older, and I, and we, I guess what we're going to talk about later I wanted to not be a Christian. Okay. Okay. What was and what and and how come? I gotta ask. Um. Um. All right. I guess in a is this um censored or uncensored? Uh, but I can always censor things out, man. So you you just uh, you just yeah. go. So a lot of this Christianity is bullshit. Okay. All right. And what I mean by that is like like. A lot of it is is based on right wing values. Um, so I had the crazy experience growing up. I went to every church that was in America, basically. Okay. I, went to, I, I, I visited a Methodist church, a, a Southern White Baptist church, okay. a Holiness Pentecostal church. Um, 
uh, a traditional Baptist church, all of them. And what I've seen, and like, especially with these white churches, like, it's not about faith. Hmm. It's not about, um, like what I was saying, helping someone in a struggle. Yeah. It's not, and if there's anything, there's like this, like, white savior complex where <laughs> they're doing good deeds yeah. so that they can feel good. Like, this is what they'll say. Like, if we, if they went on mission trips, this is what I'm hearing at the church I was going to. Okay. They're yeah. Like, um, I'm going to this mission trip and I came back it made me feel so good what you mean it made you feel good it's a good question like, absolutely I found, older, I found out about like imperialism yeah. and colonization yeah and like that that famous quote that Christians went to Africa yeah um they wanted to give them the Bible to preach Jesus yeah but they left they took all the resources and left them with the Bible yeah like, so that's what I'm saying. Like, that, that's not Jesus. That's far from the Palestinian Jew who was hanging with the prostitutes mm. and the tax mm. collectors and the quote-unquote sinners. This is a, <laughs> right. this is a very right-wing... And even, even those who don't even say they're, like, they're, um, they're part of the, like, right-wing, conservative... Um, what is it? What's the pet, Rob? Religious right. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. Who who don't allow that? I still hear this like, I still don't see this Jesus of the Bible. It's okay. far from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the reason why I use such strong language is because like this is literally killing people. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, on many different levels. On many different levels, and, you know. I mean, I have. It's interesting that you say that. So, I mean, speaking of scholarship, I mean, I so. I have, you know, I put out an article, you know, between selfies and colonialism, um, and I can put these, you know, notes or what in the, in the show notes and stuff, man. But, you know, and that was one of the things that I, you know, I, I walked with multi-ethnic, well, predominantly African-American young people for like five, six years, actually it was seven years, excuse me. Um, and I wanted to trace and see what was the effect of white evangelical outreach organizations on them stuff, man. And that was just it, man. In fact, wow. in many regards, short-term missionaries, white short-term missionaries did more harm towards that mm. faith development than good. Yeah. Most of them, because race was so intricate and so involved, wow. they actually were pushed away from the faith and pushed away from mm. Christianity. Now, a lot of them, they're doing good now. They're doing, they're doing well now. They're, they're grown adults. But my point being is exactly what you're saying. The white folks walked away with a sense of, man, you know, this is great. We're doing God's work. We're spreading the gospel. Whereas the ethnic minorities walk away with like, God dang, I don't, I don't know if, you know, like, I don't know if I want to serve this God, man. So it's interesting that you bring that up, man, you know, yeah. as, as it relates to that. Exactly. That's crazy. See, I knew I needed to read some more of this, uh, this high scholarship oh, right man. now. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Well, but well, oh no, brother, no, nah, but I, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep up, man. I'm just trying to keep up in this, in this crazy world. What? Uh, speaking of scholarship, man, what are you, what are you, what are you working on right now, man? You, uh, because you, uh, you a doctoral student, yeah. man, right? You about to, you about to graduate, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm working on this dissertation. 
Yes. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about that and just that those connections, because I know you and I have a lot of talk on just on hip hop, of course, on on yeah. on and how that connects spiritually. For those of you listening, uh, my man, Travis, you know, we're usually at AAR, American Academy of Religion uh, every year. And, um, and 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 so just having those conversations around that and trying to engage what does hip hop look like? We got this new book. So there's a lot. There's a lot. I'll, I'll let you go from there. Yeah, so um, I guess I'll so so two things. One for my dissertation, and um, when I was at this other hip hop conference, I was talking to Tr- when Trisha Rose gave this presentation. Nice, and she was talking about how, um, in many ways, some hip hop scholars want too much from hip hop, hmm. and that what she was trying to get at is. And we look at the other fields of study, even like African-American studies, Africana, um, Latin American studies, et cetera. Even those fields of studies that have been in existence for more than 50 years, they're still fighting to get um, department status. Um, A lot of them are just programs. They don't have doctoral programs, et cetera. Mm, mm. So I think she makes a good point in saying that if we want that for hip hop, yeah, we still have a lot of work and the time and going to do to get there. That's true. Um, no. Yeah. So in that vein, I'm actually I'm still I'm a a hundred percent hip hop scholar. I actually go by hood scholar. But, um, <laughs> that you are, man. I would dis- definitely say that you would you would definitely a hundred percent hip hop scholar, man. My my dissertation actually is looking at um dispossession. Okay, talk to me about that. Come on. So what happened was, so I'm in Williamsburg, and I randomly found out about the making a colonial Williamsburg, which for people don't know. So that's the thing. Some people might know about Williamsburg for the touristic aspect, which um, for some reason white folks want to go back and tour the 18th century. <laughs> I don't know why this is an attraction like slavery <laughs> right. and colonization is an right. attraction. I don't know why it's an attraction, <laughs> but some people want to tour that. Well, I found out that in the 1920s and 1930s, this was literally created. Hmm. This touristic attraction was created. And when this attraction was created, it literally kicked out blacks from their homes. Oh Lord. I then found out that this wasn't the first time it happened in Williamsburg. In fact, this was the second time because when the Naval Weapons Station was created uh-huh. in 1919 in Lackey, Virginia, which is like Yorktown, Virginia, black community, again, was kicked out. <laughs> oh, my Lord. And then. Oh, Lord. And then. More and then. <laughs> 1941 and 1942. Um, when the Camp Perry was created, there was a predominantly black community called Magruder. And and Magruder, another black community got kicked out. So um, when I originally started doing the research, I was looking at all three, and I found out that there's already been two dissertations written on the first two. Hmm. So I want to write a dissertation on the third one. Okay. Okay. But I'm taking the position of I want to work alongside the community. Yeah. 
So this is important. I have a problem with, and I feel like a lot of scholars, unfortunately, either intentionally or unintentionally, profit off of others' pain. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And what I mean by that is, I'm going to use this as an example. I could come in, write this dissertation, um, gather all this data, use this dissertation to get my PhD. Mm. Um, and you know, normally your first dissertation becomes your book that you use for your tenure. Right. Right. Oh yeah. And I, I, if I do that, if I do that whole process, what does that community get out of it? Man, yeah. That's a, that's a, that is, woo. That, <laughs> that is the question brother. Right there because oh my gosh man that that one hits home what is the what is the what does the community get out especially black folk in this socio-political era like what 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 does that look like and that goes back to last year american Catholic religion um it, it, it there was a whole session on it was Cornell West was there, Eddie Gloud. I mean, I'm forgetting, I mean, forgetting the sister's name. She was up there, man. There was there was a whole. Monty Perry. Well, I think I think it was a Monty Perry. It was yes, it was. It was a Monty Perry. Um, and I asked the question, right? <laughs> right. And that was just it, right? That was just it, and it was it was this, and I think Eddie Gloud, I think even said it. He was like, you know, um, we were we've been so busy trying to get our tenure, trying to go to one more conference, trying to go there. It's like, you know, and we have overlooked some of the big things, man. And I know that's hit me, brother. I mean, that's hit me because yeah. I feel like, okay, when you think about 81% of white evangelicals have voted for this, you know, this narcissistic racist, you know, that, you know, we have a terrorist in, our, in, the, in the office right now. Right. right. And that's exactly what he is. I mean, and I don't know people listening to this, whatever, man, but I'm just like, look, man, that's, that's who he is. I mean, anybody who stands vehemently against my own being, your being as, as a person, right. that's a terrorist, bro. That's and terrorist. so it, it hit me because I felt like I spent so much of my career working with those white churches and working and tarrying with them and engage with them and stuff, man. And then it's like, you look up and it's like, whoa, you get this slap in the face. What did it all mean? Right. And so I've just, I've turned inwardly now, man. And I'm like, man, I need to focus more on the community, but expand a little bit more on that brother. On the, so on what the, I'm going to do is my research questions. Even my methodological approach is being governed by the community. Come on. So what I'm doing is I am going to work alongside the community and ask them, what is it that you want to know? Right. What is it that you want to figure out about what happened. So I, I'm sorry, I left out a key piece. I've actually met descendants of those who were dispossessed. Wow. So there are both, um, maybe like a very few of them who were still living because this happened in 1942. So one or two people are still living who actually experienced the dispossession, but a lot of their relatives are still here. So a lot, okay. and what I'm and what I'm talking about in the dissertation is how this dispossession has affected not only the generation of those who were dispossessed, but the following generations. Okay. So what I'm gonna do is work with the following generations, those who came after the dispossessed, work with them and see, okay, what is it that you want? What is it that you want to figure out? Yeah. And then how can I 
be a, of a service and assistance to this community. Yeah. So then what I want to do, and, I, and some scholars I've talked to is like, look, Travis, don't do it. I'm like, forget that. I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm not taking the route of taking that original research for my dissertation to publish my first book. Mm. I'm actually going to try to get this book published on the trade market. Oh. And donate. Well, not even donate because it's not it's not my story. Give a certain percentage. I haven't because I'm working with the community see what percentage they want, whether it's 35, 50, 75, whatever, whatever percentage it is. Give the percentage of the sales back to the community. Yeah. Yeah. So then wow. I'm not profiting off of a very traumatic situation. Right. 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 But it's actually a flip. I'm actually empowering the community because I'm getting I'm giving them a voice. I'm letting their story be told and I'm going to actually monetarily invest back into whatever they want, whether that's going to be whatever they want. I mean, I got some ideas, maybe a scholarship fund, maybe um, money to people who are struggling now, whatever that is, whatever that looks like is going back to them. Yeah. Man, I mean, and that's and that's unique, man. And that's that's what uh, one of the many things I love about you, man. It's like, you know, you have seen what the need is in the community. You are doing 21st century scholarship. And I think that is, you know, because I did that. I, mean, I did the traditional route. I graduated, turned my dissertation into a book. I mean, I think for me, it's been on the latter end of trying to figure out, OK, how can I give back to the community? What can I what things can I do for free instead of trying to charge a big honorarium? Like, let me just go do some things. Let me work in the community. Let me give back. Let me give some books away, man. I gave a whole bunch of my books away, you oh, know, to dope. just folks that just needed it, man. Because they just needed it, you yeah. know, just the, them, them connections and just, you know, expanding the mind, man. So, but what you're doing, man, is a completely different route. And I think, I think you're on the right path, man. I think that in the, that the Academy thank, thank. is going to have to catch up with folks like you, man, because we're still wow. etched in this ethos in the Academy. Like, right. We're the ivory tower. We have the knowledge. We we right. hold all these things. And, the, and, and, you know, millennials and Gen Ys are saying like, um, bruh, I got a phone. I got a tablet. I got this. I'm, I can figure this stuff out. I got Alexa. I got Siri. I can, right. I can figure right. these things out on my own. What do you have to offer? And you are essentially saying, look, this is, this is what we can offer. And this is how scholarship fits your life. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And real quick, man, just because you said dispossession, how do you how do you define things? I know there's somebody yeah, who's, who's out so there right I now actually, like dispossession. What? What? <laughs> so that's uh, so this is what I might end up doing on a scholarly route because this is very theoretical. Uh, so I actually develop a full theory, uh, which I'm calling the matrix okay. of dispossession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brother. Come on. Come on with it. So, is, yeah. So so what I figured out is there I've actually developed within this matrix, there are five components, right? Mm-hmm. And they are existential dispossession. Okay. Political dispossession. Material dispossession. Wow. Um spiritual dispossession. And what's the fifth one? Existential material. Oh, and psychological dispossession. Ooh, all right, brother. That's see, that's what I'm talking about, y'all. This is this is doctoral <laughs> work right here, man. See, and, 
And the way this work is, what I'm arguing is it works as a matrix in mm-hmm. that we we are, when we usually think so like the definition term of dispossession is when someone is displaced from usually property as in kicked off of a land or kicked out of their house. Nice. Okay. I mean, not nice that it so happened, like, but that's up, yeah. So if you look up dispossession, that's where you see, right? Okay. So if you look at the history of Africans throughout the diaspora, uh huh. We we matched that perfectly, right? Yeah. We have been we were taken away from from Africa when we came here through numerous whether it's urban renewal, gentrification, um, forced slavery. We've been continually dispossessed or removed from our residence, our land, our home, etc. Right? Yeah. So what I'm saying is that is actually a short-sighted perspective of what's happening. Yeah. So when you look at, uh, if someone looks, if someone gets kicked out of their house, for example, there are all these other factors that that are going into play. So thinking about, so with the material dispossession, right, which is the one we're used to um, seeing. Yeah. Think about even within material dispossession, what happens to all their belongings, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. all their, all their like, all their property after this, after you like, you unfortunately, because you know, Dan, you've seen it. You you out in the hood, you see all, everybody's stuff laid out on the street. Right, right, uh, all all the time, all the time. And then, so think about that though. Does that? Let me ask you. You don't even know this whole matrix. Let me ask you. Does that tell the whole story? No, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's part of it, but no, I don't think that's the whole story. I mean, that's just that's material possession, I mean, but there's a lot more going on. At least I would assume there's a lot more going exactly. on behind that. So, and that's what the, that's what theories do, right? They just try to explain the phenomenon, right? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. I'm saying there is more than, so think about it. For, for what you've seen, how, how they deal with this psychologically? You see what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, how I, does it? Yeah. Yeah, you, you yeah. see it? You yeah. See it? And, then, and think about black people in America who has this president as, like you said, who's a terrorist? Right, right. Political dispossession. Right, and 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 undoing everything a black man had set up. I mean, it's like yeah. every time you look up, every week he's undoing something that Obama did. This has nothing to do with politics. This is about the erasure of blackness. And it's like what I keep saying this quote, but I love Kelly Brown Douglas and stand your ground. She says, you know, yeah. the greatest threat to white supremacy is a black man sitting in the seat in the white house that is typically reserved for white men, you white know, men. and, and, and to, to, and to have had that for eight years and you got Jay Z and common and Beyonce, you know, it's just all kind of niggadom just <laughs> up in the white house, man. I think who was it? I think it was a, uh, there it is, man. Kelly Brown Douglas. If y'all can see this, man, we are on Skype and, and <laughs> he's showing the oh, book. Yeah. I, I mean, show him the book. get that book, get that book. I think it was, I think it was Brittany Cooper or I'm forgetting who it was on or Carrie day who was saying that, for eight years, it was a, it was comforting to know that there were the same kind of products that they use in their hair that were sitting up in the White House, you know, and that yeah, yeah. that 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 struck me, man, because I didn't I didn't think about it like that. But I'm just like, wow. I mean, politics aside, I mean, we can agree and all that stuff about what what he did, but to to go from that and now you have this political dispossession, like what you're talking about, brah, brah. Yeah. So what I'm saying is exactly that we need to think about this like a matrix. 
because it's not just the political, it's not just the material, it's not just the existential, it's not just the psychological, and it's not just the spiritual. It's all yeah. of them working together yeah. to explain the phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. Brother, that's that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, so I'm thinking about on the on the scholarly side, I might try to like flesh that out more and 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 dig deep into that. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I mean, really honestly, I mean, that's something man, I'd love to see that in Oxford University Press and Princeton University. I mean, that's the type of stuff right there. That's your, you know, that's your your opus deum, man. man. That's your, you know, that's your that's your capstone, man. That's that's good stuff right there. Yeah, yeah, bro. Man, that's good. Well, so shifting gears now a little bit, um, because this is what kind of gave me. What's that? Oh, I just said back to the hip hop. No, 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 no. Because I, I oh, think this all connects, but it's just it's like a it's like a, a shifting a little bit. Because this was I wanted to play you just like the video that you sent me, a little clip that you sent me. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh my lord. And how this connects um, with what you're talking about with hip hop. Um, so for those of you who don't know, this kind of set off that I was like, man, I got to get Travis on the show and we're going to get him back. Um, but he sent me this, this, uh, this, this clip and he, he titled, you know, here's this foolishness and I ain't going to front y'all. <laughs> I ain't going to front cause I watched about, you know, six seconds and I was just like, you know what? I, I can't, I can't get, it. but I think we should push past those six, 12 seconds and listen to some of this that's going on right here. So let's, uh, let's. Let's take a listen to see what you're missing. Here we go. My gosh. See, I stand for the flag and I kneel for the cross and I serve a God who came and died for the loss. And y'all want to sit out there and disrespect the flag by taking a knee. The only time you'll catch me on the knees when I'm bowing before my king. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So I'm here to spit some spiritual truth as you see me reaching for my sword. And you multi-millionaires act like y'all so oppressed. Well, my God gave it all out on the cross so there was nothing left as he took his final breath. Father, forgive them till no more air entered the chest. That same very God is what our country was founded upon. And this is a shout out to all the soldiers out there that sacrificed your life. I'm proud of all y'all men and women. I can't say it enough times. And whenever the national anthem is being played, I'll take a stand with my hand over my chest and let freedom reign. And I don't care what any of y'all say, because till my dying breath, I will glorify his name. And to all the soldiers out there that sacrifice your life, must respect. I can't say it enough times. Yeah, must respect. I can't say it enough times. Yeah. Stand for the flag, America, and kneel for the cross. 116, unashamed of Jesus Christ, unashamed of to be an American, unashamed of being a Christian. Yeah, I worship the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords. And the only person I will ever take a knee down before is Jesus Christ. You can guarantee that. So to all you soldiers out there, I salute you. Thank you so much for giving your life for our country. And every oh time the National Anthem is being played, my hands right here, my eyes gazing at that flag because I understand what people did for this country so that I can have the freedom to live here, to my freedom of speech. And I will always stand for the flag and kneel before the cross. Thank you. <laughs> 
All right, man. It, 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 talk talk about that. I mean, because there is a lot wrapped up in that right there, man. So first was like this, like I don't know if it's like supposed to be passion, like yeah, like I'm gonna take a stand about this, and like oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So look, one thing is, and this is a a, a big thing, white whiteness. Not white people, but whiteness is never original. Okay. Oh, talk. Okay. And what I mean by that is you always see how whiteness responds hmm. to blackness. Okay. Right. So if you look at throughout history, when slavery was being set up, right? So in the 17th century, they didn't have slave patrols, right? They didn't have any laws against even like Christianity and baptism. It was like, oh man, like these Africans, they getting away. They running away. These Africans, oh, they fell out. Oh, if they get baptized, they might get free. Oh, okay, all right, let's create some laws to that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then it was like, oh, then look, look at it. Black Lives Matter, right? You say that. What comes after Black Lives Matter? All Lives Matter. Yeah. Yep. Blue Lives Matter. Without a rhythm, you see that? It's always in response to. So Kaepernick takes a knee. Now, after Kaepernick takes a knee, this dude is like, oh, you know what? I'm going to make a stand for for what's right. And it's so unoriginal. (laughs) You're right, man. You know, you got a really good point there. Yeah. I mean, the other part, another good key part is the aesthetics. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, and exactly. You know, I should probably put the link in just so that people can see it too, man. But talk, yeah, talk a little bit about the aesthetics. He has no flow, rhythm, anything at all. <laughs> like he don't know if he want to like if he want to rap real fast or if he want to rap slow or if he want to like if it's like <laughs> if I want to be like strong or if I want to like get a message across. Yeah, it's like just. It's not. It's not even freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> oh mercy! As you said, I want to. I want to. I to stand for the uh, for the flag. I want to kneel for the cross. I want to stand for the flag. And, and then, and then when I start rapping, I'm gonna kind of slow it down. But then when I finish, I want to talk to y'all. But then I won't. I don't really know what I'm gonna say. So let me come up something real quick. But it, I want to sound deep. But I want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 On a serious note, though, yeah. right, bringing all that together, when you look at black people, when you look at blackness, when we do it, the reason why it has this rhythm and this flow, et cetera, yeah. because there is something. So for me, I am very inspired by Benson Hardin's notion of the river. Mm, mm, okay. And what Benson Hardin says, he says that we are the river. And the river acts on us. Mm, wow. So there's this. So he says that this river starts from the shores of Africa. The name of the book is There's a River. He said that the river starts from the shores of Africa. Yeah. And he's talking about the black freedom struggle, right? Yeah. And he's saying that within this river is this creative flow. Mm-hmm. Like I'm using hip hop words to explain it, right? There's this creative flow, right? And this creative flow empowers, equips, and acts upon both 
blacks. Yeah. And blacks contribute to the river. Yeah. So what I'm saying is like we can look at the ways in which from this river metaphor, our ancestors, hmm. our African ancestors act on come upon us right now. Yeah. And we are also constantly developing and creating and being original. Mm. Wow. So, and what I'm saying is this is being manifested aesthetically. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why when we listen to hip hop, when we look at what black people do, what black people do, that joint looks dope. It sounds <laughs> dope. It feels good. You can, you can flow with it because you flow with the river. Ah, uh, yeah. You see that? Yeah. And yeah. he has, and if you look at what he's doing, he has nothing like that constantly. There's no river or anything that's guiding what he's doing. Yeah. He's just coming up out of nowhere, responding to the creativity, the flow of black people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the ancestors were behind Kaepernick. Yeah. Don't got nothing behind him. Unless, <laughs> well, actually, let me take that back. He does have something behind him. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Has this, yeah. This, this white supremacist Christianity that's intertwined and has been intertwined with capitalism, et cetera, since the founding of this nation. Right. Well, and I was about to say, I mean, because there's a lot of just just this understanding of exceptionalism that is that and, and yeah. nationalistic populist movement, populist ideology that is that is rooted in that that understanding. Right. I mean, because there's I mean, there's countless videos. I mean, this one was just one of hundreds, if not thousands that are out there right now, right. you know, talking about how, you know, you got to stand for the flag. I mean, that's the narrative. Right. You know, take a knee for God, you know, or kneel down for before God, you know, stand for the flag. And so and now you got schools. What was it? Um, oh, I was just watching Sean King. I forget which schools it was. But now you have high schools that are saying, you know, if you kneel, you take a knee, like we're going to suspend you. And if you keep doing it, we're going to kick you off the team. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's this is the era that we're living in. Right. I mean, it's like, yeah. what is it that? like you said, the originality of white people, but then, you know, what, you know, white America is, is enraged that, you know, somebody would actually stand for their oppression. In other words, just, you know, like, what does somebody say? It's like, what is the acceptable form of protest? Well, you can't march. You can't take a knee. You can't, you know, do the silent thing. Oh, but tiki torches. That's, that's, (laughs) that's available. That's, that's all right. You know? And you know what? Let me uh, and let me add this because I thought about this before the podcast. Um, a lot of people don't know, but so there's this ongoing debate, and you've heard it, right? Whether or not we're a Christian nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ongoing. Yes. So, I, so I've done some research, and this is what I found out. Number one, ever since the 17th century, 17th to 18th century, Puritan. Pastors, Puritan preachers have been used for colonialism and capitalism. Wow. Let me, and let me explain. All right. So, um, Mark Valerie has this book called Heavenly Merchandise, right? Uh huh. He, and he, and he, and of course, it's a book, so it's extensive research, but he provides this example of this Puritan preacher who preaches on basically 
the blessings mm. of the blessings of God. Okay. But what he's really talking about is how so he, he starts off with kings, right? Kings um and like economists know this dude. Kings is like this um kings is an economic um like an economic perspective. And I haven't taken economics since college, so I can't remember all the details. But basically, there's a shift from King's, King's economics to where in the 17th and 18th century, where European colonialist settlers in like New England, for example, yeah, so they were investing, they needed to invest into like w- between the transit and let it save Chay and between the economy at that time. So between um, New England, the Caribbean, and Europe, right? They had a failing economy and they needed economic investments. And hmm. what they did was they went <laughs> to the Puritan preachers and got them to preach a message. Hmm. They helped them with their situation. Okay, okay. Jeez. That's crazy, right? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So then fast forward to the 20th century. You have Kevin Cruz, who write this book, One Nation Under God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and he makes the same thing happens where in the 20th century, and um, in response to the New Deal, right, in, in response to, um, who was it? Was it Roosevelt who had the New Deal? Uh, um, oh, man, I'm, man, I'm spaced. I'm, just, I think, uh, some, I'm sure there's somebody uh, uh, um, um, listening right now and being like, it was about to, about Let to, me try to, I can tell you real quick. That's what I'm talking Hold about. He's, he's right on the You know right. what? I think it was Roosevelt because yeah, um, I think so too. Eisenhower came after. Yeah. So, in response to the New Deal, right, um, a couple of manufacturers, like the National Association of Manufacturers, yeah. they were losing business. So what they did was, they was like, look, yeah, it was Roosevelt. So in response to Roosevelt, New Deal plans, right? So the New Deal were government programs, right? Yeah. Side note, government programs to help white people. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And they help help Irish, Italians, and Jews. Mm -hmm. So like this, there's another book called When Affirmative Action Was White. And it talks about that because I, I bring this up because a lot of people say, well, the Irish were struggling and the Italians were struggling. Well, you know what happened? The government had programs put in place to help them. So in response to this new deal, of course, some of these businesses and manufacturers were losing money. Who do you think they go to once again to get their money back? White preacher. There, yeah, there you go. There you so go. So then listen to this. The whole one nation under God, in God we trust, all of that that's on our money, et cetera. Guess yeah. when it started? Yeah. The nineteen fifties. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right here. Oh man. I tell you, brother, one nation under God. There was literally this whole Christian nation was literally manufactured by right wing conservatives. In order to maintain power. Wow. But it makes so much sense, though. I mean, it makes so much sense yeah. with our our notion of God and country. And so that and, you know, when that narrative starts to change, then it gets 
rather than talking about the historical, it's like we 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 cover it up. When I say we, I, it's not me, it's not yeah, you, you, but it's it's it gets covered up in the sense that it it gets looked at. Oh, now it's you're against the flag, you're communist, you are enemies of the state, you are traitors, you are. I mean, so I mean, it 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 gets so meshed up. But that's just it, folks. Without a critical intellect don't know this and nor do they want to hear it. Right. I mean, you got Stephen Bannon right. who denies that native Americans were, you know, essentially genocidally killed in this country. He calls that a left wing argument. And I'm like a left wing argument. I mean, you even had Bush who would admit that. I mean, you know, both Bushes right. admit that, but this is where we're at. Right. It's like, no, that really didn't happen. And this revisionist history. So, this is important, man. This is important stuff and to be engaged with. If you notice in the video, right, when the song, he is almost like, what's the difference between Jesus and the flag? Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's like, almost like It's almost like uh, uh, he almost made, he almost made a mistake. He was like, I, I, I stand for the I stand for the Jesus. I, I stand for the flag. I kneel for the <laughs> Jesus cross flag because it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then, one last point is, what? Why would someone be so vehemently mm-hmm. opposed? Let's let's take their argument, right? Let's say this was disrespectful to the troops. Um, this was this was disrespectful to the flag. Yeah. If you are a Christian, why are you so opposed? Or why do you care so much? about the flag being disrespected it's a good question it's a good question i mean it does it does open up that that you know that line of thought around god and country and religion you know unless that flag is intertwined with the very jesus that you're worshiping yeah and maybe they aren't worshiping jesus Hmm. maybe they're worshiping the flag (laughs) yeah man Woo, brother! <laughs> this is this is good stuff right here, man. Um, and that's why that's why I started off saying that it's BS, bro. Yeah, no, absolutely, no, absolutely, man. Man, you've given us a lot to uh, chew on, man. This is this is good. This is really good. Um, well, for time's sake, because I know you yeah. know we could go on for another two hours, but we'll get you back when, especially when this new book comes out. We're gonna talk more about it. Um, yes. and it's more of the work that you're doing. This is this is great, man. It's been been great having you on the show. Where can people find you? Where are you at in the world? What's uh, how if somebody wants to reach out to you, you know, where can yeah. I where, where, where can people where can I put this in the show notes and where can people find you? So, the best place is I'm most active on Facebook. So, Travis.t.harris on Facebook. Um, I am at the College of Women Mary. So you can literally just search for my name, Travis Harris, College of Women Mary. Okay. You can find my profile. And of course, jhhsonline.org. Yes, sir. Yes, That's sir. That's right. With the main man, chief editor, chief oh, right man. there, Daniel Hart. <laughs> Journal of Hip Hop. Oh, so we need to let him know. We almost done. The next issue about to come out. Yes, it's about to come out. We'll 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 post yeah. it and we'll get it up out in there and everything, man. Yeah, so yeah, those that's where you can find me at. Cool, man. Well, and like I said, I'll put all these in the show notes. Well, Brother Travis, thank you so much for today, man. This has been very enlightening. Oh, man. Hey, hey, first of all, I forgot to say this. 
I'm always honored and humbled whenever I'm asked to be a part of something. So thanks for having me, bro. Oh, man, my pleasure. My pleasure, brother. We'll have you on again. Hi, homie. Peace. Deuces. told you man i told y'all i told y'all man doesn't travis have some uh man he's got that i love it i love the energy that he brings um to the table and and i just i love that he's just got so much bigger in in what he does um so i'm gonna post the links um down in the show notes for those of you who are listening you know white whitehodgepodcast.com uh we're on facebook under white hodge podcast so uh, you can just look up profane faith uh we're on there as well um but uh, yeah, man, you know, this, I th- again, I think this conversation is much needed and we're going to continue to have it because, again, I mean, those numbers that I gave at the intro, those are some real deal numbers. And it cannot be overlooked that, you know, the, the, and well, here's the thing. You no, know, it cannot be overlooked that there's not a lot of black folk in the higher ed. But I also don't think that's by accident either. I also don't think that that's just like something that just happened. Like, oh, my goodness. My goodness, how do we leave those folks out? No, 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 man, that stuff is intentional. And I can hear some of you right now, well, you know, more people, they just need to go out and they just need to work harder and, you know, get those degrees. Man, there's a lot of folks going out there and getting degrees. I know a lot of great people who have just, I I got lucky in getting a full-time tenure track job. I know a lot of folks who didn't and are out there just doing what they, you know, working warehouses, working in places that they didn't think they were going to be working in because they wouldn't spend, you know, a good portion of their life and money going out and, you know, getting this education, right? Because that's all I was told as a young person, man, take take your studies seriously, man, go to school, you know, get good grades, go do this, stay in school, stay in school, boom, 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 boom. And then you do that and you get out on the other end and you're like, wait a minute, the world ain't that much better. You know, my degrees didn't erase racism. My, 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 my degrees didn't take away police brutality. My degrees, you know, haven't taken away the fact that, you know, there are less of us people who look like me in the academy and, in, you know, and look at other professions, technology. I get tired of seeing scientists that are just all white and men. I mean, you get a few women right in there, but I get tired of seeing that. I'm like, man, where are we at? Because you already know as black folks, we got all kinds talent right you just look at the history of you know who invented stuff you know stoplights and phones and all that stuff right here's the thing um and that's not to take away from any other person of color either man ethnic minorities are talented people i think about my own you know dual ethnic heritage as an afro latino you know and the contributions that that i know i've even just put in let alone all the other folks who are out there but because of continued discrimination, because of continued, um, you know, racism. I mean, think about it. You know, the folks that, you know, have to go through tenure. I mean, and, and, and I don't know a person of color. Let me just put it to you this way. I don't know a person of color who hasn't had some madness that they've had to go through, just period. But I also haven't seen or heard anyone just be like, oh, you know, I went through the tenure process and it was just, it wasn't that bad. No, there's always somebody trying to trip you up. There's always somebody trying to talk about you. So, I mean, there's always drama, right? <laughs> so, again, man, these are some things, and I don't know, no one, no one podcast is going to be able to, you know, to fix any of it. But um, at least we're having a conversation about it. So, hopefully, you enjoyed Travis. Um, like I said, he's got a lot of good stuff that's coming out. He and I are working on a couple of different projects. 
We've had some chapters. We're working on a reader. Um, so we got some things in the works and definitely you'll hear about it here on Profane Faith. Um, and so, yes, thank you for listening. And just as we're finishing up here again, uh, go on, like us, subscribe. We're on Google. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're even on SoundCloud, y'all. So follow us uh itunes on stitcher i mean and then the other thing is go and tell some friends if you're liking this go and tell some friends and then rate us that would be awesome that's like the currency i've said that before the currency of podcasting so go and do that uh drop me a line oh and by the way that's well it's one of the reasons why i'm moving uh the provider not providers but the people who host me because I, I can't get anything to work man so i did have a contact sheet up there um but if you really want to contact me, you can go through my main website, whitehodge.com. And that's that uh, contact page is fully functional and working and helping everything. So if you really want to contact me and drop me a line, whitehodge.com. Go to contact and, you know, type in your information. But I, I'm working on the website and stuff. You know, technology, man. It's always up and down and everything. So it is what it is. But anyways, thank you so much for listening. And I thank those who have already called and texted and sent messages. And uh, it feels like, you know, we're building a nice little audience here. And so I'm excited for that. So if you're listening, you're here and you're, you're engaged. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. And I look forward to more conversations. And if you know other people that need to get, um, I need to get in contact with to, you know, to get, uh, have some more conversations and broaden out by all means, send those names this way. We'll hook them up. All right. Until next time, y'all peace and take care.